17, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. This morning, I'm going to talk about how can we be world changers. That's a big word, right? That's a big word. World changers. We, we hear about climate change. We hear about changing the world, making a difference, one person at a time. But being a world changer in the eyes of God is really a bit difficult, difficult if you would like to take a look at it. And the Bible tells us in, um, in our passage today, um, in Acts chapter 17, where we get that word, uh, it's not really the, world, the word world changers, but we can see here, these people, the disciples in Acts 17, they turned the world upside down. But if you come to think of it, actually, this world is really already upside down, especially with what's going on right now all over the world. In this world, is really upside down. You have heard perhaps the collapse of several banks in the United States right now. One of them is the Silicon Valley Bank, right? And there are so many other banks that will follow because the economy all over the world is collapsing. This world is really upside down and we need to bring it back up in the eyes of the Lord. And when we think of the word world change, Many people would just probably smirk at you or probably frown at you You're, and tell you, you are so idealistic. It's not a realistic goal to change the world. And some people would say, you're so naive. Don't you know what's happening in the world? It's deteriorating. It's, no one can change it. Not even you, Christians. Not even you, RBBC. We know that we can do it. We cannot do it alone. But we can do it by the help of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People think that we cannot change the world because they believe that this world is just, it should be the way that it should be. There's this comedian uh, on television, probably you know this, you know he, this person, Stephen Colbert. He was invited in, the, uh, in a Princeton University um, commencement exercise. And one of his statements was this. He said, you know, you grads, you can change the world, but please don't do that. Some of us like the way things are going on now. That's the problem with the world that we live in right now. They're just content with what's going on, especially in the spiritual realm. We as God's people are called to change the world by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've said, in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, this will be our key verse. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These, the disciples, that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So if you want to be called world changers, if you want to be called people who turn the world upside down, then do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow his mission. And his mission is so simple. Be fishers of men. Be fishers of men. We don't need to do that one big crowd at a time. You can do that one person at a time. Remember what I told you at the start of this year? Choose your one, just one person at a time. 
that you can pray about and pray for that this person will know Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. Sometimes we have that desire, right? Just like the apostles, they have the desire to change the world, to turn the world upside down. But desire is not enough. We need to do action. We need to act on our own desires. If we want to be world changers, let's start right after this sermon, especially when we go through our garage sale this afternoon at 2 to 6 p.m. I received some calls all throughout this week already, and they are saying that they want to check our open house and a garage sale. We need to be ready to interact with these people, not just to sell all those things. Selling all those things upstairs are just part of this church's mission. Our main mission is to reach out to people so that they will know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We as Christians are supposed to be Christ-centered people. We're not about business, we're not about selling, but we're about flourishing and propagating and spreading the good news. We want the kingdom of the Lord God to be advanced all throughout our city. And then even beyond our city, throughout our province and throughout our nation and all over the world. And that's why we support missions because we want to reach out also the lost people in this whole world. But in order for us to be world changers, we need to make a commitment to the Lord. We need to give ourselves completely to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I'm willing, I am voluntary, sacrificing my life and my time in order to reach out the lost people in this world. Like the missionaries of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, here we see Paul and some of his uh, partners in the, in the mission's work. They are so dedicated into introducing and influencing world change. So how can we change the world? How can we change the world? One person at a time. So let me give you three important clues that we can see from Acts 17, 1 to 9. Okay? For us to be world changers, there are three important things that we need to do. First, establish a point of contact with people. Secondly, explain the scriptures clearly to people. And then lastly, expect diverse and various responses. So it's easy to understand, easy to memorize because it's all in ease. Establish, explain, and expect. So those three things are very important as we see in our passage this morning. So let's go to verses 1 and 2 first. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, that means Paul and his um, partners, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That means for three weeks, he was explaining the word of God to these Jewish people. So first thing that he did here was to establish a point of contact with people. Wherever he goes, just like the Lord Jesus Christ in the past two weeks when we talk about Jesus Christ and the Samaritan, Jesus Christ and the paralyzed man beside the pool of, at Bethesda, they established a point of contact with groups of people. 
Here, in Acts 17, they met a lot of Jewish people who are meeting or gathering together in a synagogue. And remember here, Paul's, uh, the Bible says, Paul as his manner was. So wherever he goes, he always goes and visits synagogues. Because he knows that there are so many Jewish people there that he can preach the gospel to. Two weeks ago when I preached on Jesus Christ talking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus Christ traveled a long distance in order to meet just one person, the Samaritan woman, because he knew that was God's will for his life. The Apostle Paul knew also that's God's will for his life to go to Amphipolis in Apollonia and to Thessalonica and to the synagogue so that he can preach the good news. But what is important here is for him to meet with people. Because how can we preach the good news if there are no people who will be our audience, who will be listening to the, to the gospel? And that's why we have our open house this afternoon so that we can have an audience of the good news. They're not, they're not just coming here to buy things, but more importantly, to hear from us what this church is all about. That this church is centered on the teaching of the Bible and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and his worship. When Paul goes to the synagogue of the Jews, there are two important things that he always does. And th those things are in the theological realm and also the practical realm. Theologically, he always reasons out of the scriptures. He clarifies to the Jewish people what the Old Testament scripture is all about. Remember, during that time, they don't have the New Testament yet. They don't even have the, the whole Old Testament perhaps complete in one book. But they have several books in the Old Testament only. So they don't have any teaching about Jesus Christ. So the teachings about Jesus Christ are just passed on by word of mouth. And Paul will always tell the Jewish people about salvation, about salvation. And he needed a group of people as a point of contact in order to have an audience. So when he visits synagogues, there's a theological reason. Secondly, he has also a practical reason. Because when he visits those cities, his intention was to not only reach out people, but to serve them. So when we preach the gospel also, especially in our community, we do not do only the preaching part, but we also do the serving part. We serve our city. And when we serve our city, we demonstrate our love and concern for those people. Because remember, these people who are lost are also loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves the world so much. And because Jesus Christ loves the world, we ought to love the world also. Not its lifestyle, but the people in this world. Because Jesus Christ wants them also to be saved. Remember in 1 Timothy, it says there that the Lord God wants all people to be saved and to know the truth of the gospel. And that should be our desire also. Not only during our garage, but every time we are, have our service here, we have some guests and visitors coming in. We want to show them our love and the love of Christ that overflows from each one of us. 
You may know how to coach or mentor some people. You can do so. And that's part of serving people. Extend our help to social services. Hosting events. Uh, the Easter is coming soon, in three weeks' time. That's April 9th. And we should be ready also. Start inviting people to our Easter program. It may not be a beautiful program just like any other big churches, but we can offer a great program for them because we are delivering the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ to these people. When, we, you, when you take walks in the neighborhood, that's part of your establishing a point of contact with people. Nowadays, the weather is getting better. When you take walks, bring a truck or bring a business card. We have so many gospel trucks here, hundreds and hundreds of gospel trucks. Bring some, put it in your pockets. And when you meet someone, give them. This past week from Monday to Friday, my family and I went to the parks and we were able to distribute the flyers for our open house and garage sale. Why don't we do that also for our Easter program? Even if they don't attend, at least they know that there's this church that cares for them. A church that is open to address and meet their needs. When you go to restaurants, just like last Sunday, when Marty and uh, Sister Anne and uh, Ding and also Ronnie were there, we were able to talk to the waitress and talk to her about, about the Lord. Even if the gospel was not fully preached during that time, at least we have introduced and planted the seed of the word of God to the heart of this person. So when you go anywhere else, always make your goal, make that one goal. I want to tell this person about my Lord and Savior. Of course, you want to enjoy your food, your meal, but of course, you want also to tell these people that you are a Christian, that you love this person also. You want this person to be saved. Shouldn't that be your desire? Because Jesus Christ desires that also for every person. So, in a way, when you take your walks, when you go to restaurants and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, you play and you also enjoy and you work with the gospel. You tell them. So, you're hitting many birds with just one stone. Right? You're making everything work for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verses 2 and 3 also, we see that it's not enough that we establish a point of contact, but we need to explain the scriptures. We need to explain the word of God to people. I remember in Acts chapter um, 8, when Philip, one of the deacons of the first church during that time, he, uh, he was called by the Holy Spirit to go to the wilderness. And lo and behold, whom did he meet during that time? He met the Ethiopian eunuch, on his courage, he was going back home from his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And during that time, Philip talked to this Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch said, I'm, uh, I'm reading this thing about this so-called person. And he was reading from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And he did not understand what it means. Because if you are not a believer in Christ, the spiritual things cannot be discerned.
by people who are not spiritual. People who are not regenerated. People who are not born again. They will not understand the scriptures. Even if they read it, they will not understand its meaning and its application to their life. So he told Philip, I don't know what this means. So what did Philip do? He explained the scriptures. And most likely he told the Ethiopian eunuch about the Lord Jesus Christ. And after that, he got saved. And immediately he wanted to be baptized right there and then. So you see, explaining the scriptures is so important. So in verse 3 here, it says here in Acts 17, opening and alleging. So you need to open the word of God. If you just establish a point of contact with people and you don't open the word of God, then how can you preach the good news to people? And then alleging means telling the truth, explaining that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus was resurrected on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit as it is written. So, four important things here as we explain the scriptures to people. First, when we explain the scriptures, it should be Christ-centered. Because we can talk about scriptures and not talk about Jesus Christ. You can talk about Abraham, you can talk about Isaac, you can talk about Jacob and Joseph and all kinds of people in the Bible. But if we don't mention Jesus Christ, that's not the gospel. And at this point in time, many commentators and theologians said that most likely he preached to these people from Isaiah 53. Do you know what Isaiah 53 is? That's the chapter about the suffering servant. That's the life story of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53. So keep that in mind. If you meet a Jewish person, don't open the New Testament because they, will, they do not believe this, the New Testament scriptures. But open it to Isaiah 53 and from there, tell them that Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus Christ. Because if you can see the whole Gospels, the life of Jesus Christ, the passion, death, burial, and resurrection, it's written in Isaiah 53. And that he is the Messiah promised by God. Even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So your explanation of the scripture should be Christ-centered. Secondly, you need to do it boldly. You need to preach the word of God boldly, just like the Apostle Paul. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. Verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold, we were confident in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So Paul is saying here that Thessalonian believers, when we came to you, when we preached the gospel to you, even though there's so much challenge and struggles, Many people contended with us and fought with us. And remember in, in, in Philippi, Paul and Silas were in prison. 
And after that imprisonment, there was an earthquake which brought the Philippian jailer into salvation. There was much contention. And we can expect that always when we preach the good news. There will be persecution. There will be mocking, taunting, insults from other people. But still remain bold and confident. Being bold means being confident in the Lord. Being strong in the Lord. Because you know that your strength in preaching the gospel comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and not from yourself. So be bold in your preaching. Secondly, uh, thirdly, be intelligent when you preach the word of God. Let's turn to Proverbs 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23. In order for us to explain the scriptures, be intelligent also. So 16.23 says, The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. So it starts with the heart. It starts with your mind. So how do we soak our minds and our hearts with the gospel? We start with the word of God. We start with memorizing verses about salvation. We start memorizing verses about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for all people. And that's intelligent preaching or teaching of the scriptures. Because if our hearts are filled with the word of God, then our mouth will overflow also with the teachings of the scriptures. Then lastly, we do not only pray, pray, uh, preach the word of God as with Christ-centeredness, with boldness, with intelligence, but also with personal integrity. When you preach, you need to practice what you tell people. So, and that's what Paul demonstrated to the Thessalonian believers. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 to 12. 9 to 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among you that believe. So their words are not only filled with good news, but their lives also are oozing and overflowing with the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever they said, they acted and obeyed what the Word of God tells them. They demonstrated justice, they were blameless in the eyes of the Thessalonian believers, and they acted and behaved as holy people of God. Because if you preach the good news very eloquently, just like many speakers, but if your life is, does not match your testimony, your reputation does not match with the word of God that you're preaching, especially in your workplace. I heard some, some, peop some people say, oh, this person, he said that he's Christian, he always talks about Jesus Christ, but at work, he doesn't look like a Christian because he's always taking advantage of other people, abusing other people, and not working properly. He's always on his phone. So how can we tell people about Jesus Christ if we are not behaving 
in the right manner, especially in the eyes of lost people. Personal integrity is so important. Paul also talk, told Timothy about the importance of personal integrity. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Paul said to Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. And then he said, Continue in them. Yes, you know the doctrine right now. You know what we're teaching. You know the Bible through and through. Now you need to obey what it says. Apply what you've learned. For in doing this, thou shalt both, both save thyself and them that hear thee. So our life testimony, our actions are also important. They should match with the preaching that we tell people, the good news that we tell people. You may ask me, how can, we, how can I explain the scriptures, especially the gospel, more practically and probably in a much simpler manner? One of the ways that we can do that is through the Romans road. Most of you perhaps heard the Romans road to salvation. So let's turn to, to the book of Romans. Let me guide you through five verses that you can go through when you explain the scriptures to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Romans chapter 3 first. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one is righteous. Not the pastor, not the deacons, not the priest, not anybody else in the world can be called righteous. Only one is righteous, and that is our God who is righteous. And then you back up that one with verse 23, same chapter, Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Explain to people, what does that mean, that all have sinned? That means all are sinners. All of us have disobeyed God. No exception. And explain to them that sin is not just killing people or stealing. It's everything that you do that are disobedience or rebellion against God. So worshiping idols, lying, even lying, is sin against God. So if a person lies, and that means all people lie, then all of us are sinners. And because all of, our sin, all of us are sinners, we are all fallen short of the glory of God. So explain to them, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the standard of God's perfection. How can you level up to the standard of God? God says, you need to be perfect. And that means you don't have any sin. There's nothing, there's no problem in your life, especially in your spiritual life. And that means no one can attain to the standards of God's perfection. And that is very important. Why do we always start with sin? Because we want people to humble themselves first. Because you or anybody else in the world can never be saved unless the person is humbled down to his knees and admit to God that he or she is a sinner. That's the most important thing. We should not neglect the importance of telling and letting people know and recognize that they are sinners. 
But of course, you need to be gentle and respectful when you, when you say that. You, you cannot just tell people, you're a sinner, or you're a sinner. No. You need to be doing it in a gentle manner. Always involve yourself. Tell the person, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody in this world is a sinner. The President of the United States is a sinner. The Prime Minister of Canada is, is a sinner. Even the religious leaders of all over the world are all sinners. Because in that way, the person can say, oh, you're a sinner too? Perhaps I need to evaluate myself also. I'm also a sinner. So in that way, you can arrive to the point that this person can recognize that he is also a sinner and he has not come to the standards of perfection of the Lord God. And next one is Romans chapter 5. So highlight this place in your Bible. If you are able to memorize all these verses in the Romans road, and that will, that will be enough okay, for you to preach the good news. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word command is an old English word for expression or demonstration. So God demonstrates or expresses love. So explain this to this person. God loves you so much, despite you being a sinner. And how did he demonstrate his love for you? While you are still sinner right now, Christ already died for you. And you know, any person who is really willing to listen to the word of God will truly be affected by this statement. That someone died for me even though I, I do not deserve for him to sacrifice his own life for myself. This person will tr start to evaluate his life. There's someone who died for, my, for me so that I can be saved from all my sins. That's very important for people to be reminded that it's Christ who died for It's not just God. Because, you know, when you tell people about God, it's a generic name. Muslims, they have their own God. Even the Hindus, they have their own God. But we need to specifically tell them who is our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go on to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So divide this verse into two parts. First, the wages of sin is death. Because all of us are sinners, we are all going to die. And explain to them, this is not just about physical death, but it's more about spiritual death. And spiritual death is eternal separation from the Lord God. Who created us and that means people who don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to hell not heaven and then give them the good news that's why there is a but here but there's a contrast there's a gift that comes from God the gift of eternal life and this comes only through Jesus Christ so again from Romans 5 8 you tell them Christ died for them and now you tell them because Christ died for them, God gives them the gift of eternal life only through Jesus Christ. Not through good works, not through the pastor, not through your own family, but through Jesus Christ only. 
And so we're making an exclusive statement that only Jesus Christ can save people from their sins. And then go to Romans chapter 10, the last one. Romans chapter 10, 9 to 10. It's not difficult to memorize all these verses. If you try to memorize all these verses, you will be experts in preaching this uh, sooner. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. So here you tell the person, what do you need to do in order to appropriate the gift of eternal life and have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word confess here means to agree. To agree that Jesus Christ is really Lord. That he is God and nobody else. And shall believe. So mouth first, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession, confession is made unto salvation. So you need to start with the heart, tell the person to pray in his or her heart to receive Jesus Christ and his gift of eternal life, and confess it with his mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then verse 11 says, For the scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And then verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So give them the guarantee. If you do this, you accept Jesus Christ, receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior. Confess him as your Lord. And believe that he died on the cross, was buried and resurrected on the third day. There's the promise. And tell the person that the promises, promises of God are always fulfilled. He will not ignore his promises. When he promises something, he will always keep his promises. So now you have the Romans road. You have the ability right now with much boldness to explain the scriptures to other people. So if you just... Um, Train yourself to memorize these verses and try to communicate with people using these verses, then you'll be fine. Because all these verses pertain to the important aspects of the gospel. Then lastly, after you explain scriptures, after you establish a point of contact with people, sometimes we have expectation, right? When we, come, when we go to the field and look, look, uh, look and seek for people and tell them the good news, what is our number one expectation? That all these people will come to know Jesus Christ. But the problem is that it's not realistic. Although we expect them to have personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not all of them will really respond appropriately. So we need to expect that there are so many responses from people regarding the good news of the gospel. So let's go to verse 4, Acts 17. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a, Greek, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So some people believed. Some people knew Jesus Christ as their Lord Savior. They joined Paul and Silas, perhaps with their mission work. And not only the Jewish people, it says also some Greeks or Gentiles 
a great multitude of them, great big groups of people, and also some of the women knew Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's a good thing. But there comes the bad thing also sometimes in verses 5 to 9. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the base of sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar. So it's these Jewish people who are fundamental Jewish people, they don't like Jesus Christ, they don't like Christianity. What did they do? They formed a, a protest. They hired some people, some goons, gangs, bad guys, in order to disturb the preaching of the Apostle Paul and his mission's work. And they took one of the hosts of the Apostle Paul. They assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So the hosts of the Apostle Paul and his missionary partners were invaded by this group of people from the Jewish religion. And what was the reason why they did that? It says in verse 5, they were moved with envy. Because remember, during that time, Judaism is the main religion of the Jews. They don't want any opposition. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they want people to themselves for money and for any other thing because they want to benefit from people. So their motive was not spiritual but material. It's not eternal but temporal. And that's why when they see another opposition, many people coming to flock to the preaching of the Apostle Paul, they instigated some kind of protest in order to cause an uproar in this city. And that's what people sometimes will do. When we start preaching the gospel, there are some groups, religious groups, who will be opposing us. And perhaps um, they will hurl ins not only insults, but cause us some physical harm. And that's what happened, I, I believe, in somewhere in, in Canada um, three weeks ago. There was a street preacher preaching the good news and people who are against the preaching of the good news were there and they started assaulting this street preacher. It's starting right now. It may not be here in Richmond, but perhaps when we start doing some street preaching, as some of you are advising me to do also, I don't know if I can do that right now, but if we start doing street preaching, I don't know what's going to happen to me soon because people are opposed to Christianity. If you are in another religion, they will respect you. Because you believe also, just like their religion, that in order for you to go to heaven, good works is enough. But if you tell them only Jesus Christ can save you, then out of the way. You want, we don't want you in our city. Get out. We are treated as castaways, outcast people. But whom are we pleasing? Whom are you pleasing? Are you pleasing men or are you pleasing God? We are here to please, men, please God rather than men. The apostles did that. Jesus Christ did not care whether the Pharisees and the scribes will stone him to death. He still told them, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. 
And we need to tell people that Jesus Christ is still God. He is still the way to heaven. He is the truth and He is the life. Even if they physically assault us and we die, that's much better because we're going to heaven. But that's bad news to them because if they don't receive Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. But of course, we do not desire people to go to hell. That's why we love them enough to preach the good news to these people. So these people were envious of these apostles and disciples who are preaching the good news. They call these Christians as troublemakers. That's what it means by turning the world upside down. These people are troublemakers. But actually, they are not troublemakers. They are trying to influence the world to be removed from this trouble that they have created because of their sin. These people who are lost people, they are the ones causing trouble because of their sin. And we are here in this world to turn the world upside down. So in essence, these disciples were condemned. And that's why they got Jason, and then he pulled them to the city square, and verse 7, whom Jason had received, and this all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. One reason why they were so envious was that they were telling people they're teaching another doctrine, that there's another God besides Caesar. The Roman emperors during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles, they, are, they call themselves gods. Whoever is the Roman emperor, they are the god. No one can worship any other person or thing except the Roman emperor. And that's why there's an opposition to the worship of the emperor, which is the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why they were envious. They were opposing this teaching. This accusation, as I've said, stemmed from envy, from jealousy, because many Gentiles, as a matter of fact, were becoming Christians. Uh, remember the Jewish people, uh, especially in Acts chapter 15, uh, when some Gentile people became Christians, they want these um, Gentile Christians to become Jewish religious people first. They want them to be called Jewish proselytes. They want to be converted into Judaism first and follow all their rituals and traditions before becoming a Christian. And that's why they're envious because they're, the Gentiles, Gentiles are becoming Christians right away, not, not just Jewish people or proselytes. So you see, that's what's happening in the world right now. That's why uh, there's so much competition. Muslims, they want to convert as many people as possible to their religion. The Jewish people, the Hindus, the Buddhists, they want people to their religion because they're in the numbers game. The JWs also, they want the numbers game. They want more people. What? Again, for money. For money. Because they will have so much profit and their leaders will be able to buy their mansions, their beautiful cars, and all kinds of possessions. So that's the problem. 
But Christianity is not all about that. Christianity is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we live out this passage that we have studied? First, we need to be wise witnesses. Not just a witness, but be wise witnesses. Go where people are. It's not enough for you to stay in this building and enjoy fellowship with God's people. I know we need to do that. More so, especially that the day of the Lord is approaching, just as Hebrews 10, 24, 25 tells us, but we need to go where people are, especially during the weekdays. When you have a day off, sacrifice. If you need to take a nap, sacrifice your time of napping for about one to two hours to going around your neighborhood. Give a track to a person. Talk to the people or a person, probably a senior citizen uh, on a bench in the park. Just show your concern to these people. Perhaps you may not be able to preach the good news right there, right then and there, but you can set an appointment with a person. Or when you go to a coffee shop by yourself, or probably one of your brother or sister in Christ, when you know some, when you uh, meet with someone, talk to that person. Go where people are, because that will be your point of contact. And then start talking about your belief. And ultimately, what do you do? Point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then lastly, it's not enough to just be wise witnesses. You need to be prayerful. And may this be our prayer. Lord, help us to be faithful students of the scriptures and also knowledgeable teachers of your truth whenever you provide those opportunities. We can pray for that. Be faithful students, because you cannot be teachers if you are not a student first of the Word of God. So be a faithful student, and then God will lead you to become a knowledgeable teacher of the Gospel. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage you've given us, O Lord. People call us Christians, as your followers who are turning the world upside down. But actually, Lord, in your eyes, we're turning this world the right side up because this world is so much in big trouble, in a big mess. It's deteriorating moment by moment, not only physically and in in the climate realm, but also in the spiritual realm. People are transgressing the word of God and they don't know about it because no one is telling them. But we are here, O Lord, equipped with the word of God. As long as we are faithful students of your word, we know, Lord, that you can use us as your teachers of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to go to people, explain to them what the word of God means and expect that there will be different responses. People will believe, some people will reject, but what is important, Lord, is that we are able to plant the seed of the gospel into the hearts of people. So be with us, Lord, as we continue the work that you have begun in this world. 
Help us, Lord, to continue the work of the ministry to be fishers of men. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.